Okay, Hebrews. So how are you liking Hebrews? <laughs> I love Hebrews. We've made a little noise this morning. Singing and reading in God's word and that sort of thing. Uh, but we have a benefit that there are times when there's just a sense of quietness in the church. And sometimes that's what we need. That there's sometimes quiet actually encourages us uh, in our worship of the Lord. When we take time to ponder, when we take time to consider uh, and do that sort of thing. One of the things that we've been talking about as we've been going through Hebrews is that the real argument for the whole book is that, that, the, that faith in Christ is better. It's better than the old ways. You know, in Christ, Christ has been the fulfillment of so many things that were prophesied in the Old Testament and symbolized in different things and, and all of that. But there are times in our worship that we have real quiet. And very often it's during those times that we hear God speak to us in ways that maybe we wouldn't notice otherwise. But one of the things that the author of Hebrews is doing is contrasting where people were before as to where we are now. Showing over and over again how much better what we have is than what they had. We're going to be looking at chapter 9 this morning. So let me read that and then I will move ahead. Now, in the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold and which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Now these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing the ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes and but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the un unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places are, is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings regulations for the body imposed upon the time of reformation but when christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation 
He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise, eternal inheritance, since death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death. Since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive, therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every uh, commandment of the law has been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet, wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in that same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not only into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was, was it to offer himself repeatedly as a high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not uh, of his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it was appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting. Again, the argument set forth that the old is behind us, and the new is in front of us. Now that there are many, many ways in which the new is very much superior to the old. Have you ever thought about this? How differently a typical worship service is for you and I than it was for our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament days. Can we even begin to imagine what it was like on Passover to go into the temple complex where they say that the bleeding of goats and sheep was deafening? In other words, there was no quiet in the temple. It was as noisy as you can possibly imagine. Animals brought there to be sacrificed. What we have is so much better. Can you imagine trying to even worship God in those circumstances? To focus on him and not be sidetracked by all of the activities and things going on 
around you. All kinds of things that were there that would distract your attention. Now can you imagine if you were a first century Jew and this preacher, teacher, Jesus came teaching you new things. Can you ma- we, can't, we, we cannot understand, we cannot imagine what it would be like for someone that had been raised in the Jewish traditions over and over again. How freeing, how liberating the gospel of Jesus Christ would have been to them. Because theirs was a religion almost of slavery. It was doing, 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 doing. So I just, I don't think that any of us can really comprehend or even imagine what it was like for a first century Jew to convert to Christianity. The freedom that they experienced. From bondage that had been imposed upon them. And, and, and I'm not talking about what God had them doing. I'm talking about all the stuff that the Pharisees and everyone else had added to it. But you can remember if you studied the scriptures or you've ever had any teaching on this. Is how the tabernacle and then eventually the temple was arranged. And there were particular articles there that were holy to God. That were in place. That altar of burnt offering. Where all those sacrifices would be made. That bronze basin was, which was there was had water and it was used for cleansing things. Both of those were outside the tabernacle itself. And then you entered into the tabernacle and the first two things there were the table of presence where the showbread sat, and that golden uh, lampstand that lit the inner sanctuary. And also the altar of incense. And then there was that big heavy curtain that separated that, the uh, holy place from the most holy place, and the Ark of the Covenant was inside that most holy place, and inside of it was the, the, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments uh, and the rod of Aaron, the very first priest. The priests themselves, there were priests that entered the holy place every morning and evening, and the purpose of that was to tend the lampstand and to replace the bread uh, on every Sabbath, to burn incense every day, morning and evening. But even the priest didn't enter into the most holy place except one time a year. Once. And that was on the Day of Atonement. And then they sprinkled blood of, on the Ark of the Covenant. But again, just imagine how freeing, how liberating this would have been. 
And that priest sprinkled blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And we're told here in 9-7 that he offered it for himself, that is, for himself, the high priest, and for the unintentional sins of people. If there are unintentional sins, there must also be intentional sins. So what's the difference? Unintentional sinning is sinning and not realizing you're doing it. Intentional sinning is sinning and knowing, in fact, that you are doing it, but you're going to do it anyway. Sinning when we know full well that we're sinning. And quite obviously, I th- it's pretty apparent that God looks upon unintentional sins very differently than he does intentional sins. Intentional sins obviously are more severe. But have you ever read the law pertaining to the worship of God covered primarily in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy? the requirements of everything that had to be done and who had to do it and how it had to be done and that sort of thing. Jesus came and he saved us from our sins, but he also saved us from having to perform every aspect of the Old Testament law pertaining to worship. If Jesus had not come, you and I would still be doing worship the way that it had been done before. The law had many principles. The law pertaining to worship had many principles. And one of those that is argued in indirect ways all through this book of Hebrews is this. That the purpose of a lot of the law was to show us our inability to keep it. It was to show us that we must, in fact, have a Savior to do for us what we can't do ourselves. I would say to you this morning that one of the purposes and probably one of the chief reasons for the Old Testament law was to show the priests and the people they were not capable of doing what was required to be done. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us from having to go through all of these things. Again, just remember, he's writing originally to to Jewish people that were indoctrinated with all of this stuff.
So only once a year the priest went in to sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant. When you start thinking about it, you can see how Jesus fulfilled all kinds of things that were pictured in all of those articles and things that were arranged in the, the tabernacle and then the temple in Jerusalem. You see, Jesus is the reason that you and I, and we worship, is so very different than the way that the Jewish people worship. And just think about this, that, that, that curtain that was there that separated the holy place from the most holy place. To separate the very inner sanctuary of God from everything else around it. The New Testament helps us understand some aspects of important things. When we read in Matthew 27, verse 51, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, guess what? The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God's invitation now for the people to enter into the most sacred place. To come to him in his inner sanctuary. Levitical priests, in a sense, stood in the gap between the holy God and sinful man. There's a sense in which the curtain did the same thing. The reason the, the priests only went in there once a year was because he was a sinner just like everyone else. He was unworthy to enter into that place. There's a sense in which that, that curtain served as a physical barrier between holy God and unholy man. Well, and there's, uh, if we consider the rest of Scripture, we need to understand something else about the temple and, and that sort of thing, and, and the tabernacle first and then the temple later on, why they're no longer or whatever, and that is this, is because it, it, the, the Scripture makes it very clear that there is a temple still. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God indwells you? Words of the Apostle Paul. Peter also writes this. He says, you do, not, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? within you, whom you have from God.
and that was Paul, Peter writes this, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a royal priesthood. So you see, there really still is a temple. There really still is a tabernacle, but we are it. It's not some building in Jerusalem. There's a sense in which every one of us, as we've already read, is called to be part of the royal priesthood. In other words, we do some things that are likened very much to what the Old Testament priests did. You know, it really is very easy to sin unintentionally. I would imagine we all do it far more than we even think that we would. I just want to talk more about this for just a few minutes. Illustration that I came to my mind uh, that, that depicts this pretty clearly, I think, was this is Years ago, Lori and I were driving back from Lake City. We had gone to a wedding or a, a wedding rehearsal or something, and we were driving back, and Stephen was with, with, with us, and we don't get to see him all that much, and he was in the front the passenger seat, and I was driving, and Lori was in the back, and he and I were just chit-chatting away because we haven't really had any time to talk, you know, eye-to-eye eye for a while and all of that. And I was just sitting there just loving driving home and talking to my son, and next thing I know, there is a flashing light in the mirror. I had come into Williston not even noticing, and I've been, done this, driven this road, I don't know how many times, forgetting about the speed limit change that, that came. I didn't even see it. I didn't acknowledge it, didn't notice it one bit. And there was a police car sitting right by it. I didn't notice that either. <laughs> but they pulled me over. And I'm knowing, you know, Williston has this reputation of being a speed trap. You don't speed in Williston. You're going to get a ticket. And I was going like 65 miles an hour in a 45-mile-an-hour zone. So I'm just waiting. And she came up. It was a lady, and she came up, and she talked to me. Did you, you know who you're? Yep, yep, unfortunately, I do know that I was speeding. <laughs> And I explained to her what was going on. You know what? She said, have a nice evening. So there, there's a place where unintentional wrongdoing needs to be treated than when you do something intentionally. I mean, I still can't believe it. Williston. You know what? People sin against us sometimes, and sometimes they do it intentionally. They do it willfully, but sometimes they do it unintentionally. And when they do it unintentionally, you know what we need to show them? We need to show them nothing but grace. 
We need to be careful of believing that God looks upon all sin as being equally this bad. Because we have very good reason from Scripture to understand that just isn't true, that there's some sins that are really are worse than others. It is so liberating, really it is, for us to be in the New Testament church instead of the Old Testament church. Well, let me just say this too. There's another thing that we need to consider here, and that is this, is that Jesus has entered into another tabernacle at this point. It's not an earthly tabernacle, it's a tabernacle in heaven. And just as our priest, and what priest did was he interceded on behalf of simple, simple people before God. Right now as we speak, he is continuing to intercede to perform a priestly function for all of us. All of the time, unceasingly. John writes these words, Little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation uh, for our sins, and not ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. He's talking about Jesus after Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's doing that then he's doing that now I mean this is the whole focus of this book of Hebrews and that is to show us very clearly how much better it is how good it is it is so nice to be able to say this and know it to be true that I am at peace with my God but it's not because of me it's not because of what I have done it's not because of what I am even doing it's because of what Christ has done for me but also because of what Christ continues to do for me He is our representative in the throne room of Almighty God. And he will be for all of eternity. This is not something that's going to stop. But at the same time, he is going to come again. Verses 9, 26, and 28. He has appeared once 
for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are waiting for him. We talk a lot about the second coming of Christ. Christ is, one of these days, Christ is going to literally, in bodily form, leave the throne room of God and come back to the earth. And he's going to establish his eternal kingdom on the earth. And he's going to bring with him the spirits of all of the saints that have died and gone to heaven. And they will be reunited with their bodies and they will be with him on this planet renewed earth for the rest of eternity. We understand the scriptures are very clear. These come for two reasons. One is to establish the eternal kingdom. But the other is to pass judgment on those who reject him. Who have not been absolved of their sins through faith in him. Let me ask you something. What do you think your sins were forgiven or maybe they haven't actually really completely been forgiven yet. What do you think about that? What do most people think? They believe that your sins were forgiven when you, you placed your hope and your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. At that moment, you made that profession of faith. That, my friends, is not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is that your sins, Brian's sins, Nancy's sins, the sins of everyone in this world whose faith and hope is in Jesus Christ were forgiven at the cross. And once they're forgiven, they are always forgiven. Now John, you know, he, he deals with the fact that there are people that sometimes look as though they've fallen away from Jesus. But what he says is, is this, he says, they went out from, up, from us because they, they weren't of us to start with. They were making a false profession of faith. And in time, they fell away. And God allowed that to happen. He intended for that to happen. Why? To make a distinction between those who truly are his and those who say they are, but they aren't. Getting a little late here to church, aren't we? <laughs> Not to bring any attention to anything. <laughs> I 
<laughs> well, welcome, welcome. Uh, no problem. <laughs> Anyway, I just want to caution all of us. There's one last thought, and that is, is sometimes, unfortunately, I think people might get the idea that having your sins forgiven almost gives you some sense of a license to sin. In other words, having your sins declared forgiven and whatever. Uh, you know, if you, if you know of anybody that thinks that way, their heads just on, on backwards. You know, that's just not a, a, a part of the picture here at all you know knowing these things that we know doesn't give anybody the license to sin and you need to be very cautious that you don't kind of fall into that mindset because there are people who do in other words jesus has died for me he saved me from my sins so it really doesn't matter what i do with the rest of my life i can just go out and sin all i want to because jesus has saved me that's not the picture of real saving faith that we find in the bible anywhere that real saving faith transforms the person. You're a different person. You still sin, and you're going to, but you don't love it like you used to. You don't relish in it like you used to. When you sin very often, you're convicted down to the very roots of your soul, and it brings you to your knees and brings tears in your eyes. I say all of that so we just are very careful not to fall into the trap of, 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 of knowing that Jesus has done it all for me, therefore it doesn't really matter what I do or I don't do, because what we do or don't do is just an indication of what we really believe. I mean, if we believe for one minute that, that being saved gives us any degree of license of sin, we just don't understand anything. But I want you to know something. And that is, in the eyes of God, it is as if you have never, ever sinned one single time in all of eternity. Because he sees you through the perfection of Jesus Christ. Our priest. Our eternal priest. The one who has done and continues to do for us all of that Old Testament stuff. When you understand that, there really is, there's a freedom that comes with it. Of knowing that there's not some mark that you have to make. Especially when you realize you can't do it. Even worse, when you realize you don't want to do it. But do you understand that one of the things that, that this author is, is arguing for over and over again is this. 
is that we can have assurance of our salvation, but it must be founded on the proper places. That's, that's one of the main thrusts of this whole book, and that is that Jesus is our assurance, and without him, we have none. He's everything. He's all we need. Absolutely all we need. And when and only when we hold him in the proper place does everything else fall into the proper place. Well, we're going to have an opportunity to sing the closing hymn this morning. And some of you may sound like a bleeding goat to us. But let me just assure you that as bad as it may sound to people, Jesus loves it. Amen.